0: Well, good morning, everyone. Now I can't, can't put my finger on it, but there's, there's something different about you guys this morning. Maybe it's different haircut or something. I can't quite put my finger on it. But I tell you, it is so good to see you. It is so good. Um, you know, we we've been doing these recordings on Fridays, and you know, people ask me. I kind of preach to an empty sanctuary, and once I get going and, and i 'm looking at a camera i 'm okay, but it it just is such a barren feeling, and it's just so good uh, to see you and I, I want to thank you uh, for coming out. I want to thank you for being good sports too about all these requirements uh, we 're making and, and these masks. Let me just say a word about the math um, if you if you Start ha- if you're having trouble. If you start at some point having trouble breathing, you you know just pull it down a little bit, get some breath, and, and you know put it back up again. But you know don't don't pass out on me, okay? Uh, if you need to get up and you need to step out, that's fine. But if half of you step out when I start to preach, I'm gonna think there's another reason, okay? Um, and again, if if um, we're, we're cutting down on the music. If, um, you know, you start getting lightheaded or whatever, you know, well, I'm going to ask you to keep your mask on while you're singing. Just, just don't sing or, or sit back down or, or whatever. But I'm, I am very concerned about your health. Now, next Sunday is Communion Sunday. We will have a communion service here. We'll have those cups uh, so we won't be distributing them. We'll have it in this service, in the 915 service and I will also make it available, uh, like I did last uh, month, on the hour, to have those short 10 to 15 minute communion services as well. And um, if, you, if you didn't get a bottle of water, you need a bottle of water. Harley or Bob or someone, hey Harley, Harley, Bob, they're not paying any attention to me. If anybody needs a bottle of water, please anybody need a bottle of water if you don't have one? It's it's good to have one, you might need it later on. And I'll bring it to you. You okay? All right. By by the way, I want I wanna clear up nasty rumors that go around. I do not drink coffee here in the sanctuary. This is my throat coat tea, which lubricates my throat so I can speak. Just if you Wondering why I get to have coffee. All right, let's um, now let's prepare our hearts for worship. We're call to worship. Let me read from Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And we do come and we give you thanks, our God, for your faithfulness to us. For that steadfast love that is new this very morning. We pray for the blessing of your Spirit to be upon us. And we will honor You in our worship as we worship You through our Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Now let's uh, stand and we're going to sing together, Great is Thy Faithfulness. confession of faith, let's profess our faith together through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was was crucified, crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer, and we'll begin by praying together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And our Father, we do give you thanks and praise that as we come before the Lord God, the creator of the universe, that we come as your children to their Father. And we know that you are present. We know that you hear us as the Father listens to his beloved children. We pray, our Father, that this morning as we have come to worship you, that we will hallow, that we will honor your name. And so we pray for that anointing of your Spirit to be upon us, that as we, as we go through these steps of worship, they will not simply be something we go through by, by rote, but our, our hearts and our minds will be engaged. And we will take delight in this worship that we give to you and pray that you will take delight in this worship. We pray for your kingdom to come and we look to that return of our Lord Jesus Christ when he will come, not this time in humility, but in all of his glory. And we pray that meanwhile here upon this earth that we who belong to you, that we who are members of that heavenly kingdom will do your will. As that will is done in heaven, we pray that you'd give to us today our daily bread. And in particular, this morning, we look for that bread of your word, that you will feed us, that you'll give us ears to hear, that you will nourish us, nurture our bodies, our souls, our minds, so that when we go forth, we'll be have been encouraged in your word, or we will have been convicted as we need to be, or that we will have been lifted up, comforted, we look, our Father, to you to speak to us. We pray, our Father, for you to provide what is needed in this world and in our country with the end of the pandemic, protection of those who are ill, pray your hand in protection of those who are in the hospitals and in the front lines of caring for those with the illness. Our Father, we grieve over what is happening in our own uh, country and turmoil that is taking place. We pray for the, the work that good will come out of what uh, was evil. And we pray that, um, our Father, that you would do that work by your spirit of common grace, bringing to our, our country a unity. And we pray for your watch, your blessing, particularly those, again, whose lives are on the line and your protection of them. We pray, our Father, to forgive our sins. And uh, as we forgive others, we pray that we will not be as those who hold uh, grudges, that we would harbor resentments, that we would be those who have a love that covers a multitude of sins. We pray that you would convict us of our own personal sins and all the more than that we would look to our Lord Jesus for that help that we need. Look to your Spirit. To continue that work of sanctifying us. And we pray, our Father, that you not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Protect us from the evil one who seeks to lead us astray from you. Protect us from the lures, the pressures, and temptations of this world. Protect us from our own weak flesh. And we commit this prayer before you because we know that to you belongs the kingdom that you are the sovereign God to whom belongs all the power. To you we are to live for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if ever there was a, a time that we need the stable Word of God, I think we'd all agree it is now. And our world is being turned upside down in less than one year. The world, the whole world, has been rocked by a global uh, pandemic. And then in our country, there is first that very disturbing uh, video, and then led, I follow that, by uh, country wide violence. we might be wondering what's going on, and our world might be spinning a little bit. So how, then, do we live in a turbulent world? Well, our passage this morning is going to give us that answer. And our author is going to tell us to do two things. Fix our attention on who we are and on who Jesus is. So I invite you to look with me as we begin in chapter 3, verse 1 of Hebrews. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. You know, this is the first time that the author directly addresses his readers. He actually refers to them in some way. And he does so with significant terms. Now, brothers is a very common term, and he's referring to both men and to women, to brothers and sisters. But he's giving it, or he has already given that term, brothers, a little bit more significant meaning. Just earlier in chapter 2, he's spoken of Jesus in chapter 2, verse 11, not being ashamed uh, to call those whom he has saved uh, brothers. And so he's noting here that they're brothers and sisters, not simply in how they are kindred to one another, but how they are kin to Jesus himself. Now, he does something a little bit extra. He calls them holy brothers. And he uses that same term back again in chapter 2, verse 11. Let me read that verse. For he who is sanctified and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Now that term for sanctify is the same root word for holy. And when the, the scriptures use this term, they're thinking about it in two different ways. One way to thinking about it in reference to position. So that Christians, he's noting here, are set apart. Whereas one time they were known in one way, now they are set apart for holy use, much like the utensils in the temple were made holy, they were set apart for use in the temple. And so he's saying, believers now, you are to identify, you to understand that you belong to Jesus Christ for his service. Now, in addition to this change of position or change of identity, there is the very real work of sanctification taking place in the believer. Now, the reason one comes to true faith in the first place is because the Holy Spirit has already entered that individual, causing that person to be born again to a new life, and then the Spirit continues. That work of sanctifying, of being renewing that inner person until the day Jesus returns when it is completed with glory. And so our author then, after saying these holy brothers, he has another identifying mark to his readers. They are those who share in a heavenly calling. Now the calling that he's speaking of here, it is that salvation calling that we all receive from Jesus. But he's noting here, by using that term, call, that is to be understood as just simply more than getting saved. It has to do with identity. We do the same thing. Whenever we use the term calling to identify what we do, we're consciously elevating it to a higher purpose. This is why we live, why we exist. So, for example, you might ask someone what he or she does, and they might say, well, I build houses. Well, that person is describing a job, a career that they have. But if that person responds and says, I provide homes that shelter, that bless others, they've just turned that job into a calling. Likewise, here with our salvation, when someone says, I got saved, Well, they're commenting on a benefit that they have received from Jesus. But when they say, I answered the call to follow Jesus, well, now they turn their salvation experience into a lifelong calling. And so our author, he's impressing this perspective on his readers. They are holy kindred who have answered the call of Jesus to be his followers. Now, furthermore, he makes a point that it is a heavenly calling. It is not limited to just having a, a better earthly life. And that's important for his readers to, to know this. He wants them to know that they are not to measure themselves. They're not to measure what's been happening around them by, uh, by earthly standards, but rather by the heavenly calling that they have. And even that term share is significant. The author's readers are being reminded that though we each come to salvation individually, we come into a shared calling. We enter into a family, into a community in which we all share together that same heavenly calling. Now that he's identified who his readers are, he's finally going to tell them something to do. And he says, consider Jesus. As you know, uh, I like to use the English Standard Version that I preach from, but I have to admit, I prefer what the New International Version, uh, how it translates this term. It says, fix your thoughts. And that's the very problem that the readers are having. They are fixing their thoughts on their troubles. There's that growing persecution. There's this growing pressure from families and neighbors to come back, come back to the old religion. Their world is spinning. And some of them are beginning to tumble. The pastor that I served under back up at Tenth Church, James Montgomery Barnhouse, and he liked to tell a story about his predecessor, Donald Gray Barnhouse, uh, that he said, at uh, at a time when they were at a carnival. Uh this was in California, and Dr. Boyce was but a young boy, but he was with Dr. Boyce and some other kids, and they were going through a um, going to go through a spinning barrel. And as soon as they got in, they all tumbled. They could not get through there to the other side. The operator stopped it. And Barnhouse decided he's he's a determined man. He's going to go through it again. And the operator says, well, before you do it, let me give you the secret. He said, look through the title, what do you see? He says, well, I see a mirror. There's a small mirror there. And what do you see in the mirror? He says, well, I see you. Keep your eyes on me. And that will give you a sense of vertical, and you'll be able to keep your feet. Now, it's easy to see the application, isn't it? These folks going through a spinning barrel, keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, that's important to do, but also as important is understanding who it is you're looking at. You know, again, our readers, you know, they're they're not denying Jesus, but they are losing focus. They're forgetting who he is how great that he is they've been dangerously elevating the role of angels um, and there's even a greater danger uh, that's coming at them again they're being urged by family by friends these are jewish christians to come on back return to the religious faith that you can count on return to the law that you know that you are to be following so he's directing their thoughts back. Get your eyes back on Jesus. And he identifies with two terms who Jesus is. He is the apostle and high priest of our confession. It's an interesting phrase, and it presents a twofold work of Jesus. As, as an apostle, Jesus is God's sent messenger to to his people. God has sent him, that's what an apostle is, one who has been sent with a message. And he's already, in a sense, referred to this back in chapter 1, in verse 2, when he said, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. So Jesus, as apostle, represents God to man. Now, as high priest, Jesus represents man before God. He, as a high priest, has already made that necessary sacrifice of himself. To use that term we've looked at before, to make propitiation, to appease, to satisfy the just wrath of God against our sin. And as our author is going to be pointing out, much of the letter is going to be about this later on, how he continues to serve as our high priest, and he's interceding for us in heaven. Now, he then goes on further to comment about Jesus in verse 2. Who was faithful to him, that is to God, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. So, in both of these duties, as apostle and high priest, Jesus was faithful, as was Moses. Now, where does Moses come into this conversation? Well, it comes in again. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to Jewish believers. And the Jews understood Moses in the exact same light. Moses was an apostle. Moses was sent by God to God's people, to Israel. He delivered them. He also gave them the law. The law is the law of Moses. Uh, Moses also interceded for his people. Twice in the the wilderness, he had to intercede to protect them from the wrath of God for their sins. So all the more reason then, these believers are feeling the temptation. Return. Return back to the old ways of the Jewish law. Now, are Jesus and Moses the same? Well, the author is going to clearly point out, no, they are not. Let me follow with me in verses 3 through 6. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So the author wants to make the point that the difference between Jesus and Moses is not one of degree. It's not that Jesus did a better job than Moses did. But rather, Jesus' very nature, his very work, were of a different order altogether than that of Moses. And the author makes the point in two ways, two analogies. The first analogy is that of a house in Bildern. He wants to make clear that Jesus is not like a house that is better than another house. His image for us would be, you know, here we are, and we're riding in our boats, and we're going along the shore, and we're looking at the houses, comparing the houses, and which one we like better, which one we think is, is more glorious than the other one. It would be more like this. We, we come and we, we, we stop the boat before our house and someone comes down and they come up on the dock and they speak to us and we learn that this is the architect and the builder of the house. And we're filled with wonder. I mean, it was one thing to see this a magnificent house. Now we see someone, the person who built it, who designed it, built it with his or her own hands. And we're filled with even more wonder for that individual. So it is with Jesus. He's just on a different level. He's the builder. Moses is nothing but the house. Now, verse 4 seems to be a caution. You know, where he notes on here that every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And it would seem like he wants to be a reminder who the true builder is. But then you go back again to chapter 1 and verse 2 and what does he tell us? That Jesus, the Son, is through whom? Also that God created the world. Jesus is the builder. He is God. He is the creator. And the second analogy is that of overseeing a house or a household. Moses serves as a steward of God's household, that is, the household of Israel. And the point the author is making is that he did it from the status of a servant. Moses is like a steward entrusted with a household until the young son comes of age and takes over. So in that sense, the steward goes about his duties preparing for that day to turn the reins over. So he prepares the, the other servants. He prepares the, the family itself or the house for that day to come. So in the same manner, Moses held the reins, preparing Israel for the day that the Messiah will come and will reign, who will be God's son. Like that steward Moses is but a part of the staff. Jesus, as the son, takes over the household as the heir. And so this is how we are to consider to fix our attention on Jesus. He is not simply a better one of us. He's not simply one who was better at his work than Moses. As the son of God, he is on a a different plane altogether. And it is God the Son we're to understand, who is now our builder, who is now over the household to which we now belong. And so this passage concludes reminding us who we are. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We belong to the household of Jesus. We belong, if indeed, we are those who put our confidence, we put our boasting in our hope in him. Now, I introduced this ser- sermon with reference to the unsettling, the, the grieving times that we have been facing in 2020. And we ought to even place these storms in a, in a larger context of a, of a seismic change that is taking place in our culture that can be described as being a post-Christian culture. The traditional Judaic Christian moral values that we have grown up in, that were once considered the foundation for a civilized society, well, those values are now held in disdain. And the pressure is increasing for for Christians individually, Christian institutions, even the churches, to give those values up. And I have no doubt that if our author was here today, if he was writing a letter to us today, he would write the same things to us. Understand who you are. Understand who Jesus is. So first of all, let's look at understanding our own identity. You know, even that has become a bit muddled, even within our own churches. Even in this denomination, there there is a There's an understandable desire to avoid appearing self-righteous, to placing a a burden on Christians, a weight of of guilt, just like the Pharisees had placed on their people. And so there are some ministers who have promoted in their churches, in their people, the understanding of thinking that, look, we're just sinners like everyone else. We're all sinners in need of the grace of God. Well, it is true that we continue to sin. And we need to be honest about that. We need to, to keep turning to the grace of God. But Scripture does not teach that we remain under that status of sinners. I mean, As our author does, so does Paul. So does Peter, John, everyone who's writing in the New Testament. They don't address their readers as sinners. They address them as, well, the most popular term is as saints. They address them as children of their Heavenly Father, as brothers and sisters in Christ, together as a, as a holy nation of people belonging to God, uh, as members of Christ's body. And Christians will sin. And all of the letters in the New Testament address sin, both in individual Christians and in the churches. But even so, it never occurs to any writer to speak of their readers as, as sinners. Rather, like our author here, those who believe in and follow Jesus, they are repeatedly called upon to, to live up to their identity that is in Christ. To find their hope, their comfort, their motivation in who they are in Christ. And so I want to exhort you. You are saints. You are people chosen by God to know and to be saved by your Lord Jesus Christ. You have been set apart for Jesus. You have been set apart by Jesus. And he has placed his claim on you. Your destiny is a heavenly destiny. And I want you to remember that as the world is going to increasingly regard you as fools, even as wicked fools. And I want you to remember that as you stumble with your own sins and you wrestle and struggle with your own personal struggles. I want you to always remember this. God does not look down upon you as a sinner. He looks upon you as his child. He claims you as his own. And what he sees is not a sinner. He sees one who is robed in the righteousness of his Son, whom he sent to you, and who now is upholding you before the Father. And this again leads us then to how we're going to identify Jesus. Jesus is not merely a good religious leader better than Moses or Mohammed or better than Buddha. He's not merely a higher creature who's who's even better than angels. He is God the Son. He is Creator. He is the Sustainer of all the universe. And He is an apostle sent from God to lead you back to God. He is our High Priest who has come to save you from being a sinner and who continues to uphold you before God. And He has promised you that you can never, that you will never be snatched out of His nor His Father's hand. Fix your eyes on Jesus. While this world and your personal world might be spinning around you, look through that revolving barrel to the other end and fix your eyes on your Lord and your Savior, who you're going to find has his eyes fixed on you. And you will pass through. And the church will pass through until we reach our heavenly destiny. We give you thanks, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the apostles sent by you to give us the message of who you are, to give us the message of salvation and as our high priest to become that means of salvation. Keep our eyes upon our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Redeemer. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together There is a Redeemer. give the benediction, let's, let me kind of explain things. I want you to pretend that you, we just had a wedding, and the ushers are going to come down and they're going to escort you out. And after I give the benediction, I'm going to, I'm going to slip on out myself, and I'll see you uh, back out there. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.